You are listening to Bear in Mind, the University of Northern Colorado's official podcast. Join us each episode as we listen to the voices from UNC faculty, staff, students, and alumni as they offer insights of local or national importance. This is your host, Dan and Cox, bringing you just a taste of UNC. So basically, everything in the museum starts from one of these freezers. Thanks. Um, you can see that it is full to the top, and I bet you could go to any museum in the country and you would see the same thing in their freezer. We always have just a huge repository of frozen things that need to be prepped. Yeah. Um, so a lot of these are donated. See, a lot of these were just found dead. Um, some of these, we even have a few birds that came from the zoo, for example. Hmm. Um, so a lot of different ways we acquire stuff. Is there like a freezer for reptiles and amphibians versus mammals, or does it really matter? It, it, well, I guess technically it doesn't matter, but yeah, this is our reptile one, and our bird one is in better shape. Until <laughs> I got my hands on it. Um, so... These are actually already prepped and we're freezing them in case we have a bug infestation. Well, you can see people bring us, um, a lot of these are maybe window strikes, but you can see they're in really good condition. Yeah. Um, they're really fresh and the most important part for any museum specimen is good data. So without good data, it's almost useless. Mm, and we're talking data, we're talking date, time of death. At the very least, a relative location and yeah, some kind of date. Mm. Super helpful. And then if you have any kind of identifying info, if you can't, somebody else can ID it. Um, but if this were just a frozen bird, I can't ID this. I don't know where they're found. I don't know when this was found. And that makes it not really useful for research. Makes sense. Yes. And then um, these are our prep tables, which so great that you guys are actually demonstrating how to do this right now. So they're basically using tweezers and razor blades or scalpels to skin, what are those? The cellphone lizards. Yeah. Cellphone lizards. So it's a similar process whether you do, you're doing a herp, a bird, or a mammal. You're essentially removing all of the soft tissue and muscle and most of the skeleton. And most of that isn't gonna be kept. Um, you can do some further anatomical studies on that if you want, um, but most of the time that's data you're just going to lose when you toss it out. Um, and they're going to end up, well these are going to end up a little bit different, but if you have a mammal or a bird you're going to end up essentially trying to stuff that skin into a lifelike position mm. and sewing it back up. Mm -hmm. And if it's a bird you're keeping the beak and the front part of the skull so that it looks lifelike and in a mammal you just you keep the skeleton or the skull separate and you kind of just stuff it oh. so it looks normal. And these guys are gonna not get, get stuffed. They're gonna get um, ethanol and glycerol prepped so the skin is supple, and then we can just roll it up and store it that way. How do you like being in the museum as undergrads? Is it a rewarding and fulfilling experience? <laughs> Definitely. Well, when I first started, it was just kind of weird um, just getting your hands on with, you know, dead reptiles and just animals in general. Um, 
the more you get into it though the funner it gets and like it's super interesting coming in and being like you know what today we're gonna skin a ball python and you just never get the experience of either holding one or doing this kind of prep work so it's super fun just starting out it's really interesting just seeing how each animal is different and their different components making them unique to each of them and just a lot a really cool experience to do it yeah When it comes to removing, so like for instance the organs, you're throwing them away, do you have a certain place, like you, can you just take that to the dump? We actually, usually I'll freeze it because we always want to make sure that our beetles have food. Ah, here's the beetles, okay. Um, so if we want to skeletonize something to actually keep it, or if we just want to, you know, feed our beetles and kind of get rid of some extra meat, we toss it in here. So this is our domestic colony. Uh, right now it looks like they're eating some kind of lizard. It's a bearded Oh yes, a bearded dragon. And you can see a couple of different looking bugs in here. Yeah. So some of them look like just plain small black beetles. Those are the adults. The adults will lay eggs on a new carcass mm -hmm. and those will hatch into these fuzzy critters. Mm. Those are the ones that are actually eating muscle and tissue and flesh and they will molt a few times and get larger and larger and then by the time they reach probably about that size he's probably going to pupate soon and then become an adult mm. and then the cycle continues you can see they've cleaned him off pretty quickly um, so this is probably going to make a really good teaching specimen mm -hmm. um, so we can articulate it and i can show you a few of my articulations in the uh, other room cool and mounted and have a cool looking skeleton. So that's something you could use for like comparative anatomy. Yeah. Um, they like water, so. It's, you can basically forget about them for long periods of time and they'll eat paper, they'll eat dog food. They, I don't like to do that, um, cause they will die eventually, but they like a little bit of heat, a little bit of moisture, mm. and they really like fresh meat, but we usually give them dried. Mm. Um, we have some of our ethanol collection here too. So this would be all of our salamanders, frogs, and toads. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so this is how we store our ethanol collection. Um, it's a huge undertaking to make sure that none of these dry out. Like, as you can see, this is already um, starting to dry out a little bit. Because um, if it were to dry out, then our specimen's going to dry out and get ruined. How often does it, do, do any of this, does it need to be changed at all? Or like... That's a good question. Um, so the ethanol will actually evaporate out. We keep it at 70% um, for kind of best preservation to prevent the growth of anything. But if it evaporates down to this point, um, we've actually found a few that were at like 10% or even lower oh than wow. that. So yeah, we have to check it. I would say we should check it every year um, and also make sure that our ethanol concentrations are high enough because otherwise the specimen slowly degrades. Ah, okay. And these are really valuable because unlike the mammal and bird skins, you can cut them open and get all kinds of information about their soft tissue, histology, structure. Um, you can look at their diet. Mm. You can't really do any of that with the mammals or the birds unless you were to do that right after you skinned it. Got it. Or you were to save that somehow. Like how long have these been in here? 
some of them have been in here since I think I found one from the late 1800s. Oh, really? Wow, um, okay. But most of them are probably collected more like 90s, early 2000s. Okay. Um, yeah. Sorry. No. Um, so we actually have entire collections that we call the teaching collection, which kind of emphasizes just how useful all of these things are. Again, this gets used for herpetology. And these are specimens that maybe don't have the best locality data, but we do know what it is and mm. it shows structures and morphology really well. Okay. Um, our research collection is right here. And this is what I had spent like a good portion of my masters trying to organize. Um, so we have hundreds and hundreds of rattlesnakes mostly we focus on Colorado because you know we're in Colorado and there's a few common species here we have some really cool ones somebody moved the two-headed rattlesnake yeah we have a two-headed prairie rattlesnake down here but Anywho, they're mostly organized taxonomically, just to make it kind of easier to look through all this stuff. Does it make a difference how many snakes are in one jar? <laughs> for us, and probably for every museum, it's all about conserving space. Mm, so, that's um, <laughs> it's totally fine to have them kind of stacked up like this. Yeah. Um, because they'll each get an individual ID number. So they'll all have their own separate data. But this is our, basically all of our venomous snake collection. We mostly have vipers and not very many. Um, not very many like cobras or, or what have you. Um, well, there's nothing particularly interesting in here because most of these are non-venomous. <laughs> Boring. Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't know why I opened it. You got, uh, is that a rat snake? Yes. I have been bitten by one of those. Yeah, I'm all about that. Did you bleed? I don't remember bleeding. It, it got me on the hand mm -hmm. and while I was holding it. Mm. Yeah. They still will hurt because they have these little recurved teeth and they'll get kind of stuck. I had to I had to pull it off, like yep. pry it off. And yeah. there was a little when I did it. Yeah, because yeah, uh -huh. their teeth are curved backwards. So they like hook into you. Mm. Yeah. Here is what our mammal collection looks like. Oh. So each of these should be stored with a skull. A I am looking at what, just to confirm? Uh, these are a whole bunch of different kinds of ground squirrels. Okay. 13 line ground squirrel, Wyoming ground squirrel. I've never seen squirrels with spots before. I wow. haven't either. <laughs> huh, okay. I don't know where you can find them actually. Oh, apparently in Weld County. Oh, okay. Wow. And some of these are quite old as well. So what's interesting is that you can kind of watch how the abundance and presence of things might shift over time. So maybe somebody collected one of those 13 line ground squirrels in 1950 somewhere and like we haven't found them in 50 years now. That could tell us something about how things are shifting over time. Right, like they're no longer in Weld County, maybe right. they're now in, mm -hmm. yeah, up in Wyoming only, okay. Right, or maybe we didn't see something and now we have something that's invasive. Mm, and we're finding that. Right, okay. But if we don't, you know, keep those records, then mm. we'll never know. That, that comes back to the importance of the data. Yep. Got it. Yep. 
Uh, we do have some pretty big skulls if you want to see those. Yeah. We've got a black bear. There's a grizzly bear. It's in the room that we started in. Oh. So looks like we have a few. I really like using these as um, teaching specimens because it can tell you about diet, looking at tooth structure and doing dental formulas. Mm. And that's something that the we do with like summer camps when kids come through. Fun. Mm -hmm. These are bears? Yes. Okay. And you can tell because they have huge canines, but they also have these kind of flattened molars here because mm -hmm. they're omnivores. We are always happy to give tours. Um, a lot of people will walk by and just see us and start asking questions and we'll give them a tour. We do accept undergrads who want to do directed studies or just volunteer. And if they want to learn preservation techniques or focus on one particular kind of animal, we always welcome that. We love to do outreach. We'll try to do um, open houses every year, every semester. And we just try our best to make sure people know about us so that, you know, we can bring specimens to a new class or go teach people a new thing about something. Mm -hmm.